Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leone. I am here with Ben Gretsch to bring you part four of our projections off-season special. And this wraps up the AFC. We're going to do the AFC East. Uh, make sure you check out the previous AFC podcasts on the feed. You can rate review us on iTunes, which helps a lot. You can also check out Ben's work at Yards Per Gretsch on Twitter, bengretsch.substack.com for his newsletter. And Stealing Bananas is the podcast that he's doing with Sean Siegel on Rotoviz Radio, also on iTunes. Check all that stuff out. Ben, we we go into the AFC East and I don't know. It's a tough division. There are some fun things to kind of try and guess at, but it also makes it a little bit harder to project just because there's some, there's some uncertainty uh, in a few of these teams, especially outside of Buffalo. How do you, how does it make you feel now that Buffalo is like the fun team in the division and the rest <laughs> of the division is just like, I mean, the dolphins are kind of fun. The jets could be kind of fun, but we're just like, eh, we don't really know, but Buffalo, yeah. we, we know what we're getting. They're fun. They're fun for fantasy. They're a modern forward-thinking offense. It's got to be. It's got to be exciting for you. It's wild. It is exciting. I never thought I'd see the day. You know, props to both Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. Like they both evolved so much since you know the 2018 season or whatever. It's kind of nuts that. I mean, I didn't want the team to draft Josh Allen, and I also wasn't wasn't too keen on Sean McDermott after his first year, and. In both cases, it's kind of like an outlier scenarios in the way they've evolved. You know, you don't Certainly. see quarterbacks make this year two to year three leap that Josh Allen did last year, but you also don't usually see coaches go from extremely conservative, especially defensive minded coaches, to embracing one of the most aggressive offenses in the entire NFL. And looking at the play calling of the Bills, we both have them around 65 plays around 38 pass attempts per game, 26 rush attempts per game. It's a lot of pass attempts and they showed that they're going to pass regardless of game script. And, you know, in some games, they even just, uh, they had a Seattle game last year where it was, it was like an entire quarter before they ran the ball. It was just throw, throw, throw. And good old Pete Carroll said they, they weren't ready for the bills to, they were, they were ready to stop the Bills' rushing attack, and, and they didn't even run the ball. So it's great to see, and their coordinator, Brian Dayball, even made a comment this past offseason about when, if, in terms of fixing the running game, they're looking at improving efficiency, not increasing rush attempts. So that's something you definitely want to hear from a fantasy perspective for this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, yeah, the actual overall approach is something that, Certainly, you know, more teams should do, but we can look at and feel like really confident in from a fancy perspective, the willingness to go for and forth, the willingness to pass. All these things are going to be very um, bankable things. They, they make me want to bet on these teams. You, you mentioned on our last episode, we did the AFC West, that we probably both had Hill as the, the wide receiver one. I actually have Diggs as my wide receiver one in my projections and my rankings because I want to bank on him in this offense. We, we know they're going to throw and... Um, I mean, I don't know if you want to jump right into him, but there's some interesting, like, I, I'm not a huge splits guy, but we know that receivers going to new teams uh, present challenges, right, statistically. And there's some interesting splits with him that even though he was phenomenal last year, or, or because he was phenomenal, I think, are kind of going a little overlooked, or, or I haven't seen them really discussed. But the first eight games, he was really, really good. 
Um, he had 9.9 targets per game, 6.8 catches, 87 yards, and he scored three times in eight games. And, and that's like a good line. And then in the next eight games, he goes up to 10.9 targets. He adds a target. He goes up to 9.1 receptions. His catch rate was much better. Um, his, his catches jump by even more than his targets. That's probably a little, you know, fluky on splits, you know, uh, just a, you know, a weird, a weird fluke with the splits. But then his yards jumped to 105 yards a game from 87, jumped almost 20 yards. And he scored five times in eight games. His TD rate was much better. You go into the playoffs. He also averaged over hundred yards per game in three games and scored twice in three games. So one of the big reasons he was the wide receiver three not last year behind Adams and Hill was he only scored eight touchdowns and both Adams and Hill had um, big touchdown seasons. But Diggs led the NFL in catches. He led the NFL in yards because his team was so pass heavy and he pretty quickly assimilated to be the wide receiver one. But I would argue with those splits, it was like being becoming more and more clear late in the year. And, and that was sort of like a film grinder take I had last year too when I was writing my Stealing Signals column was that Allen seemed to get more and more comfortable with him. He was scrambling. He was looking for him on third downs. He was get, like he became his guy more in the in the second half of the season, which is something that again probably part of the reason why receivers switching teams don't always do great is they have to get a little bit of a feel for the quarterback. These guys started to really gel, and like I think he's going to be Adams for Rodgers in Green Bay or or Keenan Allen for Rivers and and in in uh when they were together with the Chargers for several years where like he's just going to be such a clear number one and Allen's gonna look at him in every you know in every situation basically down the field he didn't actually have like that many big plays down the field which is something that we thought would be there because he was so efficient down the field in his last season with Minnesota he only had one touchdown of more than 25 yards last year he added another in the playoffs but only one during the regular season I think we might see a couple more of those. I mean, I think he actually is going to take a step forward, and I don't know if the market thinks that. They're 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 saying, look, he was amazing last year. We should draft him in the one-two turn. I think Diggs is like wide receiver one is going to actually be better in year two in Buffalo. Yeah, and I just made it. You know, we we recorded the AFC West podcast earlier today, uh, and I scaled back my KC pass rate just a little bit after we talked, and I do now have Diggs as the wide receiver one, even in half PPR. Nice. Over Tyreek Hill, I've got him sixth overall in NFFC rankings, which is you know kind of like your more standard full PPR three wide receiver league. So I'm right there with you as far as Allen's fantasy line. You know we both got him around 400 fantasy points. I have him regressing a little bit more in terms of some of the pass efficiency, but it's like splitting hairs. You know I've got his completion percentage down a little bit, his yards down a little bit. You know his passing TDs down a little bit, but you know, it's just, as I had mentioned at the top of the show, it's difficult when a guy makes the year two to year three leap like Allen had. I think it was, in terms of completion percentage, like literally. Like well, you're just, you're just trying to time. you're just trying to fit into your take that Allen's bad. So that's <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. I'm just, I don't know if we're going to see 68, you know, percent completed passes again. Um, I, I'm, I want to see another season before I'm like have him on like almost Mahomesian level type stuff. I get is just, but I have him as, you know, the QB two in fantasy. I do have him. I think in that same tier as like Dak Kyler that I'm probably not taking him as early as he's going in some redraft leagues, but definitely pumped in best ball leagues. If I'm at the back end of the first round, I can go digs at the one, two turn. And once in a while you'll get, Allen dropping to you in five. I, I'm not at the point where I'm taking him in four, uh, but I'll, I'll take him in five. 
As far as the other receivers outside of Diggs, who were pretty united on, you've got Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Gabriel Davis. I've been really scratching my head all offseason on Manny Sanders versus Gabriel Davis, have started to slide some further to Manny Sanders. And this is the classic case of do we bet on the ascending young player, which is where I was at at the beginning of the offseason. And I still do have Gabriel Davis like right in line with Manny Sanders in terms of fantasy points. But all the beats really seem to be on Manny as having a really big role in this offense. Um, Joe Buscaglia for the Buffalo Bills is – uh, or writes for the athletic. I'm sorry. He, but he is one of the better beat writers in the league, in my opinion. So, yeah, and he's been on you know, the Manny Sanders drum ever since they got him. Now, beat writers, of course, they're not fantasy players. It doesn't always translate one to one, but that's an interesting one. In general, though, I'm kind of like a little bit ahead of ADP on all of these guys just because I love the aggressiveness of the offense, I love the scoring potential. And I love that, like it, like God forbid, hopefully nothing happens to Diggs. But if he goes down, like all three of these guys are going to be really, really profitable bets at ADP. Yeah, but that's an interesting point too, because when you're talking about Allen, I'm a little higher and, and a little more aggressive on him repeating some of his efficiency. And a big part of that is I'm projecting Diggs to be very efficient again in year two. I just think he's that good. I would probably be dropping Allen's efficiency a decent chunk if Diggs wasn't, you know, taking 30% of the targets almost, you know, but they, they would all be very, very profitable, I think, but it would be interesting to see how that looked. Sanders, I'm a little concerned about, but his numbers have been pretty solid. Um, I'm concerned in the regard that I, I, I believe the, the number he hasn't hit, it's a very arbitrary number, is he hasn't hit 900 yards since uh, it's something like 2016. I think it's been five years. Um, tore his Achilles in there. He's 34 now. Yeah. Uh, has had some, you know, some decent games at stretches. Has had a hard time like being like a really consistent player over a long period of time. Like part of the reason people picked him last year um, was, you know, that he could be the secondary receiver to Michael Thomas. And then Thomas gets hurt, and you would think that that would have been a really great setup for him. And he, he was pretty inconsistent still. I think he's a, a good like veteran presence. It doesn't surprise me that the beats like him. By all accounts, he's like a he's a bet, like does all the right things in the locker room and on the field and and all those things. I just don't think um, it's necessarily going to translate to like a big fantasy season at his age and in his at his point in his career. Um, Davis, I like a little more. It, it's more just like betting on the chaos of the NFL because like, he was a good prospect, had a good rookie year, and I think there's there's room for him to sort of ascend into like a you know the downfield role that that Sanders doesn't really have anymore. His, his Sanders' ADOT has really fallen over the last half decade. Um, so Davis, along with Diggs, are going to kind of need to be the vertical options in the offense. So um, I'm betting more. Like I, It's not that I think the beats are wrong. It's more that I'm betting on things to yeah. shift in season, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I'm kind of there with you. I'm just a little higher on Sanders. And, you know, in our half PPR underdog ranks, you know, I've got Gabriel Davis actually a little bit ahead of Beasley and Sanders. And I've got in our full PPR ranks, though, I do have Sanders up there. Sanders, his catch rate the last three years, you know, 72%, 68%, 74%. So I am a little excited about that. He's been good. Yeah, no, I've been kind of bashing him a little bit. Um, And he used to be one of my favorite receivers in fantasy, but I just just because he's old and, and that's how I am. 
But I, when I did the projection, I was really impressed that like his targets per route run have stayed really strong too. Last year, he, he drew a target on 22% of his routes. Um, and the year before, it had dipped down just below 20%. But basically every year, even in the last half decade, when he hasn't been producing big yardage numbers, he's been still earning targets at a pretty good clip. And his yards per target have been really strong the last three years, even across three different teams. So um, it's, it's kind of impressive that, you know, I that shocked me. For a guy who's thirty, you know, going to be thirty-four, it's crazy though. Like this dude is like I used to say this stat back when they played together in Denver. He's a year older than Demarius Thomas, a full year older. People didn't buy like believe that back then. They're like, oh, that's crazy because he kind of came in. He took a little longer to break out, but like you know, put that in perspective. Demarius Thomas feels like he hasn't been in the NFL forever, and Sanders is still kicking around and and but but he's up there in age for sure did you just want to bring up the fact that demarius thomas up until just a couple months ago was still on my one dynasty team? <laughs> your 2016 dynasty team in 2021 what, what's nice about i mean all three of these guys beasley davis manny sanders they all go like wide receiver 60 or later though because they're jumped up so it's pretty easy to be ahead of adp on all of them and kind of take your bets i do think davis has the biggest upside of the group, oh, shit, I, I, I had to. Oh, the uh, last thing I want to know on the wide receivers, this is one of those I'm too close to the team. It's my team situation, so just take this with a grain of salt. But they were pretty banged up at the end of last year, both Diggs and Beasley, and I am curious if they pull like we talked about the Chiefs on the last podcast where they're kind of like, not going full bore until the postseason. I wonder if we see a spread out wide receiver rotation a little bit more, you know, just to ease the burden on some guys. They play four wide receivers a decent bit, so all these guys are going to play. Uh, just something that's in the back of my mind. I, I think I think they're all going to see the field and have a chance. If we, if we want to go on narrative street, I think that's a decent point. It's a decent concern, but I'll also I'll, I'll give the opposite. Con- uh, argument that one of the things i love about Diggs is he is just like hyper competitive like the, he's like insane competitive yeah. so i don't, I don't know worry that. about it in terms yeah. of it. like i'm not not drafting Diggs because of it i i just think like as far as the the ancillary receivers like it, there might not be like a the depth chart might be pretty nebulous there they might be rotating guys in yeah that's a fair point and and one guy we didn't talk about is isaiah mckenzie he had five touchdowns last year yeah, one of the things I was talking about, Diggs' touchdown rate improving. One of the things I noticed with this projection, uh, McKenzie had five receiving TDs last year. A lot of those were the jet motion tip passes. I, I didn't go back and look at them all, but I, I would bet that at least three, maybe four, were those you know jet motion tip passes. Well, he he also had the uh, week seventeen. <laughs> oh, is that where those came in? Yeah, that big week seventeen. That's right. I think he three touchdowns. two touchdowns and returned a punt for a touchdown. And that's what it was. I forgot about that game. Okay, but he did. But he does catch those jet sweeps, like yeah. in the standard party. I mean, he had an eighty-eight percent catch rate last year. Right. Exactly. And then the other the other note I saw on this team was that Tyler Croft and Lee Smith, like their two blocking tight ends, combined for five TDs, and that was on those like play actions down near the goal line. They're leaking out their blocking tight end. He's wide open. They're catching these short TDs. So smart, like red zone package plays, they were very effective with last year. They got 10 pass TD, or maybe not 10 entirely, because probably not all five of McKenzie's were like that, but they probably got like seven or eight touchdowns off those types of like designed packaged red zone plays. I would guess that they won't be that efficient on those types of plays, which will naturally sort of push some touchdowns 
potentially back towards the running backs, which we're going to talk about in a minute, how they have not scored a lot of a rushing TDs, maybe over to Allen. But I also think it, it helps the argument that Diggs can add touchdowns. It was one of the big things, or, or Beasley or any of these guys. Yeah. Their touchdowns think, were sort of too spread last year. And I think we're going to see them be more spread than the average team, but less spread than last year, essentially. Also, right. deep deep dynasty stash, Isaiah Hodgins yes. came in as, as a guy people really liked last year and then got hurt. Uh, still on the roster. Fantastic profile. Love that, dude. Three straight uh, breakout years, if I'm not mistaken. Three straight years of a dominant rating over 30%. Early declare. I was bummed he went in the sixth round. But, yeah, that guy, I made a comment on ship chasing the other day, is going to end up beating out Emmanuel Sanders by the end of the year in four wide sets. He's good. You're, you're just dogging the old guy, Manny. He's <laughs> just going up and down on Manny. One compliment, and then, then at the end of the day, though, he's 34, and you you, you kick him to the I can't, I can't do anything with that, man. The tight end situation, you know, still rumors swirling that this is a team that could target Zach Ertz. As of now, they've got Dawson Knox as their team one, then Jacob Hollister. They did lose those kind of pesky, more blocking tight ends in Lee Smith and Tyler Croft went to the Jets. They have, as I said, Jacob Hollister. I don't have him with volume right now because I just have like this nebulous tight end too, just for volume as I'm figuring it out. I'm a little more aggressive on Knox right now, but I don't know. Knox is a pretty athletic dude, but it well, just seems like the target share is pretty capped at tight end here. You're more you're more aggressive than me, but I think to be clear, you're not you're not very high. You have him for thirty four yeah. catches. Like he's not draftable on your on your projection, right? No, he's. If you're taking a third tight, if you're taking a round eighteen tight end, in underdog, he's fine. But yeah. he's not someone I'm taking in managed leagues. I what just don't see the upside. I don't, I don't feel like this is a good fit for Ertz. Do you think that he would be all right in this scenario? I think. I just don't, I don't think the volume would be there, right? right. You know, Ernst is pretty volume dependent. I guess you could make the argument that his touchdowns could spike a decent bit here just because it's a higher scoring offense and they have manufactured T touchdowns a decent bit in the red zone. But yeah, I don't think it'd be as good as people think it would be because I still think this is a team that's built around its wide receivers. You know, we just right. talked about Isaiah Hodgins, but they're like clearly very clearly always trying to stockpile wide receiver talent and be like super deep at wide receiver. They're going to play three, four wide receivers. They're not going to run the ball a ton. So I don't think Ertz would be, I think Ertz would be around, you know, an underdog, like around 16 guy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there'd be a little bit more upside if someone got hurt and the targets could expand, but he's pretty dusty himself. I mean, I don't even know if he's better than Knox. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think, you know, if you're taking Ertz, you want him to land. I mean, the Colts is the one that always gets thrown out because of Wentz and everything, all the ties. But that, yeah, that would that, that be land somewhere where he can rack up targets because that's the the thing where you can say, okay, well, go back two years. Ertz had 88 catches, like, and, and the year before that, he had over 100. Like, he could get back to 80 plus catches. Maybe it was just last year was a bad year. He wasn't healthy, whatever. Um, but he's not going to get there in certain spots, and I don't think he's going to get there in Buffalo. Even though they're going to throw a ton, I don't think he's going to catch 80 balls in Buffalo, and you kind of need him to be a high reception guy. Yeah, completely agree. The running back position is really fascinating to me. It's this weird dilemma. On one standpoint, the positive standpoint is 
you've got one of the higher scoring offenses in the NFL, lots of red zone opportunities. The running backs seemingly have to score more fantasy points than they did last year. On the negative standpoint, even with all that said, it's a split backfield. They don't target their backs out of the backfield a lot. And Josh Allen is such a good goal line rusher that there's not a ton of TDs here necessarily, even though it is a high scoring offense and they're, you know, their pass rate's pretty high in all areas of the field. So you can go back and forth. I've drafted a decent bit of Singletary, which is gross, but it's just like when Moss was out, Singletary was playing, you know, 70% of the snaps, seven, you know, 70 to 80% of the snaps. He was splitting goal line stuff. He at least got some goal line work. And I think he's, going to get more targets in the base offense. We both have, we have him, the average of our projections about 45 targets compared to about 30 for Zach Moss. Moss has, I think more of the upside again, beat writers. I think Moss could take over this backfield to an extent. He's going to be the goal line back. His ADP is so rich compared to Singletary's. I've been taking Singletary for like free in like round 14 where I don't know. It feels okay. I don't know if either of these guys has super high and upside despite the offense, but yeah, they're definitely rosterable for sure. They're, they're rosterable. They're not super high and upside. I think they're great targets if you do zero RB because you know you're going to have you know touches and there's there there is you know going to be points in this offense. There is potential for touchdowns. There is potential for certain things, but they're not going to throw to the backs a ton because Allen is you know so mobile. But what I thought was really interesting when I looked it up. Uh, or, or did these two and was looking up some of their data was that um, Singletary was targeted on about 14.4% of his routes. He was at 14.8%. Um, sorry, I had those backwards. 14.8% last year, 144 was a rookie. Moss was only at 9.8% last year. Now, not a huge sample, but I think it is kind of interesting that like Moss was running a decent number of routes. But I, I was trying to dig into because I remember Moss was running around. I was trying to figure out why Moss only had 18 targets. He did miss a couple games, but Singletary had 50 targets. Moss only had 18 last year. Like Singletary had a lot more action in the passing game, and it was in part because when he was getting out in routes for whatever reason, he was getting more looks. Uh, you know, more, more balls actually thrown to him. Those are not high numbers, regardless. It's not going to be high in this offense. But Moss was like not able to, for whatever reason, draw any targets out of the backfield. Um, and then you, you shift over to like, yeah, Moss is getting more, um, of the, you know, the green zone touches, the high value touches in close, but this is also going to be an offense that the running backs are going to score a ton of touchdowns because we know Allen's going to rush for some and those types of things. And so I, I started looking at this and I was like, man, like at, at my projection for Singletary comes out higher. And I, I started to think like, where are the touchdowns going to come for the running backs in this offense? They very well could come from bigger plays. And I think Singletary is the back that has a better chance of breaking one from 20 plus yards. He did that a little bit more in his rookie year. He had a couple long TDs, if I, if I recall. And yeah, it would be, it wouldn't be that, you know, it, both of them probably should be expected to score more. Moss had five touchdowns. Singletary only had two, but it wouldn't be that surprising me if Singletary is the one who got up to like, you know, six TDs because he had three that he kind of hit on. He's sort of the more explosive back, which sort of makes more sense in this scenario where you kind of want more efficiency. Does that does that logic follow to you? Yeah, a little bit. If you're saying the goal line role isn't as valuable as the typical goal line role, you, you want the back right. that's more likely to score from outside, you know, the, the inside the five yard line. I 
Yeah, but it, it's just a tricky situation where it feels like there should be more fantasy points than there are, but at the same time, we shouldn't totally dismiss these guys, and I, I'm just taking the cheaper guy. I do wonder, too, if Matt Breda uh, ends up being more of a thorn than people anticipate. It doesn't seem like well, that right now, but they I did struggle about this efficiency. You have him for a pretty decent projection here. Um, I noticed that no one else on the team got more than 12 carries, no other running back last year, even with Moss getting hurt. Like you said, Singletary really was like the guy. And then there's this talk that Moss could, could take over the backfield. And I do like Moss too, but I, I like they basically only use those two dudes. So I, I, I projected this a lot more concentrated than I project most backfields. Do you think that's sort of a mistake? No, I think I'm probably going to reduce my Breda projection. It's a little bit high, like looking at this again. And it's just a situation where I think like earlier in the offseason, I was a little bit nervous to be too high on Singletary and Moss. I do think there's a chance that Breda is cracking the active roster and cutting into these guys' carries and is a little bit of a threat. Whereas last year, there was just no, I mean, it was TJ Yeldon who was like special teams or like pass catching. And I think with their struggles on the ground that depending what happens in camp, I, I, I could like, like Matt Breda, I think is pretty, a pretty good rusher of the football. And I just think it's a little bit more competition than they had in the past. And I wanted to layer that risk in a little bit, but I probably, yeah. I, I, and I think that's a good point. And it's an important one to kind of figure out for people who are listening. If you think Breda is going to play it all a role, because one, one argument for Moss and Singletary is even though there's not a ton of value here, they got, almost all of the running back touches last year. And if that happens again, like that type of concentration does actually help the scenario, right? Like the, it's not a, not a huge pie for running back production, but if it's only these two, and if one of them is going to go down, the other one's going to play a ton and be the only guy like Singletary did at times, then it makes them more appealing. But if Breed is going to play, then, you know, obviously we have a small pie cut three ways and then that's not good. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, why I have Braid a little bit higher is like cast NFL season. I do think if someone gets hurt, you know, it's probably still a split backfield versus, and I, I met, I mean, I don't want to be contradictory because I know I said part of the reason I like Singletary is he did have those huge snap volume games when Moss was hurt. But yeah, I don't, I don't think he gets to quite the same level that he did last year when Moss was out. I think Braid yeah. would play. I think this is like, it seems like we're being like super nuanced, but I, I think this is a really important discussion because if if this regresses at all, Moss and Singular could wind up being a couple of the best value running backs. I mean, even Moss, you said he's going a little higher, but even he's a pretty darn good value. Mm-hmm. If if this is anywhere near like, close, like if, if the running back production in this offense improves at all, these two guys would be really interesting. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to be targeting them in a lot of drafts because I do a lot of zero RB. You know, I do a lot of you know one RB early. They, they make a lot of sense in those builds. Yeah, they're like this hybrid of a little bit of floor, a little bit of ceiling, but not a ton of either. You know, they kind yes. of split the difference of your usual zero RB candidates, which is kind of get pegged in more of one side or the other. Yep, they kind of split the difference, and I, I, I kind of like that as part of a build as I'm grabbing other guys where I get a little security, I still get a little ceiling, and I am going to be grabbing the big upside swings like Pollard and Dylan and Madison or whoever, but these guys are targets for me right now for, for those builds. Let's go to New England. We are very much aligned on the play calling, have them around 63 plays up a decent bit from last year have them 33 pass attempts per game, 28 rush attempts per game. Obviously that is difficult to project because 
How much Cam Newton are we going to see? How much Mac Jones are we going to see? It's going to be a really big deal. You know, if we go. Sorry to cut you off. We're super close at our play volume, and I had no idea where to put this. This is the first time I'm looking at how close we were. I literally guessed at like 50% that's <laughs> 50% Mac Jones stats and just split the difference. And we like almost hit each other on the, on the head with our projection. Yeah, that's sort of what I did. I think they're going to be, you know, run heavy regardless, but are they going to be insane run heavy? Like last year they had a 51%, 51% pass rate. I think that's weeks one through 16. I have to double check that number I have in my spreadsheet, but had about 50 low fifties last year. And I've got him at 58% this year. Definitely think we see some Mac Jones at some point, uh, maybe sooner rather than later. And that's a big deal for the pass catchers because, I mean, even a 100 pass attempts over the course of a season, like that's like if there's, let's say, if you think they throw 100 more times with Mac Jones than Cam Newton, that's like three games worth of targets when you funnel that down to the receivers. It's a pretty big deal. Mac himself, I'm pretty high on all the rookie quarterbacks. Not super high on Mac just because he doesn't run. Like I said, I think they're going to be run heavier or at least neutral even with Mac, and I don't think they're going to score a ton of points. So it's a gamble on playing time without the payoff that the other rookie quarterbacks like Lance and Fields have. So really haven't had much Mac Jones anywhere. Yeah, agree with that. Um, I think this the the play volume stuff, and 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 I, I think we're. I think you mentioned this, but we're we're both sort of net. I did the Cam and Mac fifty percent each. My note here was that it nets to slightly below average play volume, a run lean, but not extreme, which is basically exactly what you said. I my the question I'm curious about because the play volume here is I think almost everything because they're going to be um, pretty split in a lot of their, uh, you know, opportunity metrics, or at least they're going to look that way in, in the projection this, as a team, the Patriots are going to at pretty much every position, um, is, is there potential for them to be faster paced? What, cause they're like one of the, they're one of the teams I think was probably most impacted by the pandemic last year. I mean, certainly they were by opt-outs. I think they had more opt-outs than any other team by a pretty good margin. Most of their defense or maybe not most, but a lot of their defense opted out, um, and I've just got the impression at times, especially after Cam got COVID early in the year, that Belichick was just sort of going through the motions last year. I'm I'm wondering if they're going to surprise a little bit this year, be a little bit more competitive than people realize. I think people are like, this team's completely dust at this point. Belichick's done. He's never going to be good again. Um, almost. It's sort of like the feel. And I'm wondering if they're if like they're going to come back and and have some some really sharp stuff that they're doing. You could see scenarios, and I like I I could see scenarios where Mac is sort of playing the the quarterback uh, between the twenties more or less, and then they're using Newton in these sub packages because he was very good in the red zone. Obviously, um, there's just like a lot of things that could happen with this offense. But the biggest thing that I'm seeing is like or thinking is that like before last year they obviously had Tom Brady, but they were fast paced for several years. They wanted to play fast. They were one of these teams that really embraced tempo before 2020, and, and we saw a lot more teams embrace it last year. Um, and, and then the Patriots fell off the other direction. But is there this possibility that they end up being a little bit above average in play volume or, or do some different things with Jones and turn things over to him at some point in 2020? Or is that sort of optimistic with a rookie quarterback? I, I mean, I think it's possible, especially if he's actually good. You know, if he can handle it right out of the gate, I think it's possible. It's so tough to pin down, but it does provide a wider range of outcomes on some of the receiving options. 
I think the guys that are most interesting to me to discuss are wide receiver Jacoby Myers. You you have him for a really big amount of targets. You have him at 112. <laughs> 112 targets. I'm at 67. He's someone I've struggled with. I just got a share of him in my FFPC best ball late. I'm probably going to jack up his production as like I continue to knock Nikhil Harry down as it like just seems less likely he's going to be there and stuff. Yeah. I've had a really tough time with Myers because I know he rates well and what you like to look at, which is the targets per out run, yep. yards per out run. You know, he's going to pop big in a big way there. And I'm trying to weigh that against, well, it didn't seem like they wanted to play him early last year. And then they brought in two receivers. They brought in two tight ends. Like, where does he fit in? So it's it's just, I just don't really know what to do with him. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is a really fragile projection. I have him with a lot of targets, but, um, you know, over, or over 100, not like a million targets or anything. But that's mostly just because he's the one guy from like a targets per out run perspective that looks like they have that ability to really dominate targets. Even Nelson Aguilar, who was good last year with the Raiders, a lot of that was more just efficiency on some big plays down the field. He's never really been a, a target dominant type player. Myers was up at 24% tipper to targets per out run last year. And that, yeah, he's been efficient both years. Yards per target at nine, 9.3, two years. Like he might just be good. So I'm, I'm kind of just like, betting on that as, as I did the projection like this makes the most sense that he would be the, the wide receiver one but huge error bars on this projection what target share is that that's 20 percent even yeah so I I could definitely see him getting there it's just, and he had I mean he had a four-week stretch where he was at like darn near 40 percent target share with right. Cam, which was like a super condensed low volume passing attack a little bit of a different story but um yeah what well, Wide range of outcomes. I'm going to move him up in the ETR ranks just because he does seem like a worthwhile bet, especially in your PPR leagues where he could rack up a lot of catches. If we get Mac Jones earlier in the year, Myers does end up earning the best target share of the receivers, and they are a little bit more up-tempo, like Ben says. There are routes where that that hits in a pretty big way. I really haven't drafted, I don't think, any Kendrick Bourne. I've got an some Aguilar when he's fallen well behind ADP. We're really close on Aguilar, which is around 130 full PPR points, 77 targets. And yeah, I mean, and then yeah, really Harry is like, you know, they're just non-draftable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the tight ends are the really interesting one. And I, I, I couldn't figure out who to take. I looked at their past, uh, Target share sort of Henry's sort of been more consistent at at maintaining high target shares. Johnny was good last year, but he had a couple of years where he was like eleven percent target share. So I went very slightly with more Henry targets, and it looks like you did too. Um, and the market's the opposite, which is confusing. Johnu on FFPC Football Guys ADP is tight end fifteen. Henry is tight end eighteen. Similar story on Underdog Hunter Henry's tight end. 20 in their ADP, Janu's tight end 17. As a result, I've wound up with like almost no Janu and a decent bit of Hunter Henry. I've got Hunter Henry as my second tight end in the 14th-ish round on underdog quite a bit. I think it's actually a pretty decent bet at that point. I came in early in the offseason thinking these guys were going to be really overrated, but uh, the ADP seemed to have cool, especially on Henry, where 
when you're talking about getting this guy around tight end 18 to 20, like he's, he's pretty good. It's, you know? They're both very good. And it's hard to pull the trigger on them. I think in part, there's so much uncertainty and they're both there and you don't know who the tight end one is, but like, this is an offense. that's obviously shown an ability to use two tight ends a long time ago, but still Belichick offense. Uh, he's, been trying to target this position. He was he drafted like three in 2019, Aussie Aussie and Dalton Keene and whoever in that that draft in 2019. Those guys didn't have great rookie years. He goes out and signs these two. It seems pretty clear to me that they're going to be a big part of the offense, right? Like they, I I, I think yeah, there's a lot of like quietly one of these dudes is going to be a really good fantasy pick this year, and I'm probably not going to pick enough of either of them because I'm I'm as confused as the market is. But like you're right, they just seem too cheap. It's more fun to make the bets that are guys that like you know could be the clear number one on their offense and be really good you know the gerald Everts or whatever in that range but like one of these dudes is going to wind up being pretty good i think actually yeah i know anthony amico has been on these guys i like i said i'm coming around to him a little bit as one the adp's cool off and two just think we're going to get more mac jones it's just, like the concern is if you get cam like everyone's dead yeah <laughs> i mean so. for the cam weeks like uh, unless you're getting the uh, 35% target share games Jacoby Myers got for that stretch. I mean, you're you're pretty dead. It's slow pace. It's ton of rushing. He's taking goal line carries. Uh, it's bad. And yeah, and I also think like going to running back too, if we get Mac Jones, a guy that Jack Miller has been beating the drum for a lot is James White. And I think this comes down to, he wrote an entire article on how he, misunderstand running back upside basically late in drafts. And a lot of these, especially in best ball, a lot of these home run hitters we try to go for, like it just doesn't happen. Like we don't, we don't run into the workhorse back for a good chunk of the season, you know, as frequently as we want to think we do. And a lot of the times the guys that are exceeding their ADP by a lot, whether it's by points, it's on ADP or if it's on win rates, it's guys that catch the football and James White could, I mean, he could just catch a ton of passes uh, in, in this offense. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty, pretty easy that, that way to, to kind of expect that he had a ton of targets last year too, even in an offense that, you know, wasn't throwing very much. He still got up over, what was that? Over 70, no 62 targets, but he didn't, he only played 14 games. Um, it, it seems pretty likely that he's going to get a ton of targets. Damon Harris did not get really any, when I did these backs, uh, Sony Michelle was kind of really interesting. I didn't realize how efficient he was last year. Average 5.7 yards per carry on 70-plus carries. Uh, you know, very small sample in the receiving game, but he also was like – he had over 100 receiving yards on seven catches. He had like a really high yards per reception. He had like a few explosive plays. Like, is he not completely dead? Because I kind of thought he was. I think he's close to dead. You know, I have him being worked in just because like – you can tell by my projections on this offense, I was pretty conservative across the board. You know, I was worried about being too high in any part of this offense because I wasn't sure if the upside would be there. So I have Michelle cutting into Harris's rushing a decent bit. But even with that said, you know, Damian Harris is someone I've taken a good hit. He seems like he's had a really wide range in his ADP, like a more volatile ADP where I've seen people jump on Damon Harris in round eight where I'm like, that's too rich. But then I've had other drafts where I'm like, I can get him as my third back in round 10 or even my second back, depending on how I've started a draft. 
And, and I'm pretty on board with that, especially in a half PPR league. So I've come around to this offense a little bit more as stuff has gone on. I know Pat loves Ramondre Stevenson as a late yep. round flyer. I haven't quite gotten there. It sort of depends on what skill set you think he has. I know Pat thinks he's a Rex Burkhead, basically. Potentially Rex Burkhead, which does a little bit of everything, goal line work, get some catches, and that would be great. I know I talked to Josh Norris about it. He just sees, you know, Ramondre as more of like a bigger plotter and doesn't really have the Rex Burkhead, you know, receiving in his repertoire, uh, which is a big deal, you know, how you, you know, what you come to on that. And you can see in our projections, Ben and I are very similar in carries. You've got 28 targets. I've only got 10 for Ramondre. And that's, you know, that 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 might sound like picking hairs, but that is sort of like the difference between him being a late round flyer versus not draftable. And and the thing that Pat will point out when you talk to him about him is that he had a really good yards per out run in college. That's a, a number that, a stat that he likes to look at a lot for, for running backs translating their receiving potential to the pros. And uh, he was good in the passing game when he got opportunity. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a weird backfield all the way around. I think, I think Stevenson's sort of interesting. I just took him in my Scott Fishbowl draft, but, uh, seeing Sony Michelle kind of pop in efficiency this past year, like kind of shook me a little bit. Cause I started to think about the old Belichick years where like, whoever you think is going to lead the offense doesn't wind up leading the out. Like we think it's going to be Harris cause it was him last year. And now I'm starting to think like today, would it really be that surprising if Sony Michelle and Harris were sort of in a split in week one? Because like he was their first round pick a few years ago. They did want to use him, Michelle. And that's what we thought going into last year. And then it was just more Harris. Michelle wasn't always really healthy. But if Michelle's healthy, would it be that surprising if there's sort of a, a split early down and then White is still obviously in his role? And if that happens, I think it, it becomes a lot harder for Stevenson to, to work his way in is sort of the thing. If Michelle's completely dust and out of the equation, you can see scenarios where Stevenson works his way in as the third rotational back and um, potentially getting some starts if Harris misses time or whatever. But if Michelle is like, I don't know, are you like the, you never, we used to never know what the Patriots backfield. And I'm starting to wonder if, if we're going to find that out again this year with Michelle cool. particularly. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that in training camp for sure. Let's go over to the jets. You know, another team tough to project, new quarterback, new coaching staff. And, you know, we're still pretty in line here, Ben, in terms of the overall play calling. We've got them at around 62 plays, which is a big jump up from last year. And I've got them passing at a heavier rate than last year. And so do you. We've got them around 34 pass attempts per game, around 25 and a half rush attempts per game. Adam Gase was just so, so bad. He's so slow paced. He was so... Relative to game script, he was very run heavy, you know, for a team that was in negative game script quite a bit, really stubborn. And you kind of got to throw those numbers almost out the window. I think he started from scratch. Yeah. And we've got Zach Wilson with a really similar line, about 278 fantasy points and standard scoring. I've got him, you've got him a little more efficient passing the football. I've got him with a little bit more rushing upside. I do wonder if he runs more than people think at the NFL level. Uh, I could see, like, I think he might have those skills where he just didn't run as much in college, but he has that athleticism, maybe needs to run a little bit more in the pros. I know Josh, that something happened to Josh Allen. Josh Allen also like 40 pounds heavier than Zach Wilson. So not the exact same comp there, but he's someone that, 
you know, I'm, I'm on the rookie quarterback train. He doesn't have the same upside as Lance and fields, but he's got this job certainty, you know, weeks one through yeah, 16, dude. which makes him appealing. Right. Second overall pick. Um, there's going to be a bias towards the jets for, you know, I, I think that point about throwing out all their old trends, everyone sort of knows that, but they also don't respond that way. Cause they're like, the jets are going to suck. Like it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that, um, the jets past outcomes were like very bottom of the barrel, you know, 30th, 31st, 32nd in the NFL and a lot of, a lot of areas that are good for fantasy. And so now what are the range of outcomes? Well, you, you just kind of start with like what happens with rookie QB teams and things like that. New, new, new coaches, whatever, you know, um, probably a little bit less than league average talent, but they do have some more talent. Now they have Corey Davis. They have Elijah Moore. They've added um, Denzel Mims is a year older. Obviously Crowder is still there. They, they, they have pretty good receivers uh, added Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman into to their backfield. It like I think their range is probably on the below average side of league average, but that people are still probably even though they know that you shouldn't care about the Adam Gay stuff, probably still anchored to what we've seen from the Jets over the last few years, which has just been a very terrible team, and that's probably like the really low end outcome, right? Like their their range is probably almost entirely higher than what last year was because last year was just so bad. Yeah, you also get like, I think Zach Wilson was overdrafted. And as a result of the Jets stuff and him being overdrafted, people kind of writing him off. Whereas you know, if he was picked 10th overall, we might be treating him a little bit differently. But there's kind of like this negative sentiment yep. towards Wilson. Another anchoring point, right? Like people are anchoring to him being too too highly picked, like you said. So wide receivers, I am shocked. I did not expect me to have a higher Elijah Moore projection than you. Didn't expect it, Ben. But I do. Yeah, very, very marginally. Very marginally, but it's ten more targets. Well, you've got Crowder with a higher projection than me. Like, what's what's happening? What is going on there? Yeah, it's funny because, like, yeah, I have Crowder for six more targets than more, but like, you're gonna find any chance you can where I have the old guy projected for more. (laughs) You love it. Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know what to do here. I have Mims for more than you as well. I have it really split up between. Davis, Crowder, more Mims. I kind of feel like at different points in the season, different guys might make impacts. Yeah, um, It's a tough one for sure. Yeah, I feel like this Denzel Mims running with the second team stuff's a little bit overblown. Like he was pretty good as a rookie, really nice athleticism profile. And I know the four-year guys, correct me if I'm wrong, he was a four-year guy and they're, they're a little bit more high risk, high reward, but it was an encouraging rookie year for that you know type of prospect. Yeah, he got plenty of volume, and, and we can joke about the, the prairie yards. Yeah, he was a four-year guy, but um, was good as a sophomore and had kind of a down junior year and was good again as a senior. So it's like we did see some underclassmen for production, probably because his junior year wasn't great. He wasn't you know able to go pro, but he still got draft capital too. Like I, I still have some some interest in his profile for sure. I've been taking a lot of him because at this point he's free in drafts. You know, like people have completely written him off and. I think he's a worse bet than the other guys because of some of that stuff, but I don't think he's that much of a worse bet than the other guys where he should be free and the other guys are going. Elijah Moore has a lot of steam. I get that, you know, new regime. They drafted him really good early reports. I don't mind being high on him. Crowder's tough because his upside scenario is earning a ton of targets. And I don't know if that's happening this year with the other guys, they with the young guys and then bringing in Corey Davis. 
he seems like he'll he'll probably be fine, but I don't know if the, the upside case that was there for him last year is there for him this year. Right. So the way I thought about this is that they have a rookie quarterback, and part of the reason probably they brought Crowder back was to ease that transition. Crowder's, you know, a little more established that early in the year, Crowder will probably be someone that will play a decent amount and, and someone that Wilson can hopefully lean on to to you know consistently do the right things. Um, and that Elijah Moore will eventually take over some of those snaps and some of that role. And that they're, they're sort of similar. And I know Moore's been talked about as playing outside a little bit more, but Elijah Moore is pretty undersized. He's one of the many undersized rookies in this class. And I think probably long-term trans- translates more as a slot receiver. Um, and so that's so I was kind of like hesitant to project the, the two of them combined for too big of a target share. And then this is also the argument for Mims. It's like he has unique traits in this group. And, you know, we talk about this kind of thing. He's the downfield guy. He's this big bodied outside downfield guy. Corey Davis isn't really even necessarily that. He's probably going to be the more traditional, like, number one X receiver outside um, outside guy, but not probably a field stretcher in that kind of way. That's why I think Mims ultimately plays more, and I'm not worried about the second team stuff, is I don't know that they're going to run out Davis, Crowder, and Elijah Moore in three wide receiver sets. That seems odd with Crowder and, and Moore both being sort of undersized guys and Davis himself not even being like a huge big body yeah i guess the concern is is keelan cole really oh right yeah going to play ahead of denzel mims and i guess i'm skeptical that that's going to come to fruition but that would be the primary point of concern would be that you know mims isn't the wide receiver four who's going to rotate in and the he's actually the wide receiver five and needs a couple things to happen is the bear case against mims sure yeah cole could, cole could play that role sure I've got right now on FFPC in the ETR ranks, we've got Mims, Crowder, and Corey Davis actually like all above their ADP positionally. Uh, and then a little bit behind ADP on Elijah Moore, just because he's had so much steam. Uh, but still, he's going as wide receiver 48. You know, none of these guys are going more barely cracks the top 50 wide receivers going. And if Zach Wilson's any good, <laughs> someone's going to, probably do okay here, even though it seems pretty spread out. Uh, when and you're I like, giving up yeah, the targets. I do like making the, the, the bets in drafts, even though I'm a little higher on Crowder, my projection on Moore and on Mims, the young guys over even, you know, Keelan Cole and, or Corey Davis. I, are you taking a lot of Davis? Not a lot of Davis, but I like, I still, I still like Corey Davis. You know, I know last year, a lot of his success can be derived from the way that offense operated from the, uh, you know, just AJ Brown and taking away a lot of yeah. attention and Ryan Tannehill's efficiency. I am curious to see him in a spot though, right? where, you know, kind of post type sleeper, like we can, and obviously like nowadays we wouldn't have viewed Corey Davis as strong of a prospect as we did at the time he was drafted, but still, I don't know. I'm still interested in Corey Davis. And I do think a lot of the times throughout this podcast series, I've mentioned the back end wide receivers as, you know, I'll take them in basketball, but, in managed, I'm not stashing them. And that's because a lot of times in managed, I'm taking seven really good receivers and that's about it. And then I'm just stockpiling running backs. But, you know, Mims is the type of guy that I could see actually having the type of upside that you'd want stashed in a managed league that yes. could could come to fruition. And Davis is more the one where you, you can feel confident in targets probably throughout the year. He's going to have a role. He got a nice contract. So he makes some sense for, to, to your point on our, our last episode that, you know, the 
better in best ball thing sort of misunderstood. Davis, I think, actually makes it more sense in best ball. I, I, I'm like you. I'm taking too many good receivers to where I, I wouldn't draft Davis in a managed league because I don't really see any scenario where I'm going to be starting him. I, I just I personally don't think he's that that good, and 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 so I don't see an upside's case where he's getting on the field over, you know, receivers that I'm drafting higher in drafts. So if I'm taking one later to fill out a receiver core when I draft that way in a managed league, it's got to be somebody who can ultimately be better than than some of these high name guys and, and really come up like Justin Jefferson did last year or like Robbie Anderson did for a veteran to throw out there. I don't think Davis has that necessarily in his range personally. So I'm not taking him in those scenarios. One random aside as we talk about Corey Davis, Hayden Winks of Underdog had an interesting article talking about adjusting yards per out run based on two wide receiver versus three wide receiver sets. And you're just curious if that's something you've thought of or Yeah, no, I thought that was a great be, article. Yeah, yeah it was. That. It was very. You could. I, I could see if if I took the time. If you could probably come up with a standardization pretty quickly. It's tough for me to know how much the quality of the receivers are driving that, or just the schemes driving that. But if you are purely looking at yards per out run, that's another kind of thing with Corey Davis, where it might make him look better than it actually is, just because it's kind of like a two read system. You know, you've got AJ it very much Corey was. Davis. So many of his catches were their high play action rate too. And he was just the first read and was wide open. And it's like that, you know, you mentioned the defensive attention on Brown, but also just great play design. He's like, can't, I can't imagine how many times I saw Davis running wide open on drag routes, you know, 10 yard, 10 yard crosses on a play action where he just like caught a, caught a 15 yard catch. You know, he did that so much last year. That's not going to happen for him in a new offense. It's just, you know, that you have to chalk that up to what Tennessee did so well. The running back position is, it's interesting to me because it's a very ambiguous backfield. The market has really sort of decided that it's Michael Carter's backfield. I was drafting a ton of Tevin Coleman when he was free. He's starting to get a little dicier, but I think even on the back end of this backfield, you know, Ty Johnson maybe has some use in full PPR leagues. uh, If he plays a role in the passing game, a decent bit. So it's a jumbled backfield altogether. The the pro case for Michael Carter is he's the guy that the regime drafted. They brought in. He's we know he's good at catching the football. He was a really good pass catcher at North Carolina. Even kept Javante Williams off the field in pass catching spots, you know, because he was so good at it. And having a pass catching back step into an ambiguous backfield where maybe he could be the primary rusher as well, you start to see where there's some upside. The bear case against Michael Carter is okay, this is uh, you know, just a uh, third down back with fourth round draft capital that people are like applying projectable volume to and overrating. So yeah, um, I don't know where you land on Michael Carter. Well, I like the upside and I, I want to take stabs at him because they are talking, you know, we're getting beat reports that he could take over the backfield and those things. And I think he projected as a pretty good prospect and has the three down skill set, the receiving ability, all those things. But I do want to take some stabs on Coleman too. I think they're both too cheap for the reasons we talked about with the overall offensive potential. Um, Coleman, you know, barely, barely played last year was definitely banged up a lot. Um, What did he have? He had 32 touches the year before he 150 touch guy had 700 total yards. Um, you know, wasn't amazingly efficient, but was okay. The year before that, um, he was back, you know, still back in Atlanta. You got to go back a couple years, but he had a thousand yard season and 900, 900 the two years before that. 
So he had like four years in a row, at least 700 yards. He's never really had a monster season, but he was like a pretty good player. And it, like sort of the point I wanted to make on Ertz as well was, which is like, we're maybe just paying too much attention to just last season. It is possible that Coleman was just hurt last year. It was a weird year with the pandemic and everything. I still think it's possible that Coleman um, has some some spark in his legs and and looks good. And I think he's going to get some veteran deference probably early in the season and get get some work. He's you know familiar with the offense, all of those things. So he's been a weird one. I've heard people say sort of a fake you know sharp pick. I'm I'm sort of in on it. I, I think there's especially when you're doing like zero RB builds and stuff. I think there's going to be volume early in the year. There's some potential yes. for explosiveness in his profile if he's healthier. And so it makes sense to have as a, like a, a late round bridge running back early in the year while you're trying to find something off the waiver wire and see what happens. You know, I, maybe he won't be there all year as their guy, but I think he's I, he's a pick that I like. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Like he's going to be startable early in the year. I feel like he's going to be the primary rusher. I could be wrong on that, but there's not a lot of guys that you can say that about where he's being taken in drafts. Do you want to know with Michael Carter? The ADPs, he's up to 73.2 in ADP on FFPC Football Guys Championship. You know, that's six, seven turn. It's gotten, it's gotten rich there. Underdog, much more palatable at 93. You know, 20 picks later, quite a big difference there in, in the uh, ADP. So just keep an eye on the site you're drafting at in terms of Michael Carter. Miami, I think Miami's fun. We yes. have them around 64-ish plays per game. I've got them with about one more pass attempt per game, just a little bit more aggressive on pace than you and the same amount of rush attempts per game. It's a team that has showed they are willing to be pass happy. They are willing to go at a faster pace when the quarterback's playing well. We saw it with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tua struggled his rookie year. I think people are being too hard on Tua. You know, it was one year coming back from a really major injury. Got a lot of weapons around him. I think they have, I don't know if I'd say a sharp staff, but they have it. I think they're, we know they don't have one of the really bad coaching staffs, of which there are a ton in the NFL. Uh, you and I both have them around 320 fantasy points in regular leagues. He intrigues me a lot. If you're doing, Best ball leagues, I think there are some pretty affordable stacks you can make with Tua that are fun as your QB2. And in managed leagues, one of the strategies I wrote about, you know, in terms of if you're trying late round QB, it's not as much streaming anymore as it is maybe finding some mid-tier guys with upside. And I like pairing Tua with one of the rookie quarterbacks, uh, especially in like FFPC, NFFC leagues where there's you know 20 roster spots. You know, in the past, I've only devoted one roster spot to a quarterback. So I've either streamed or I've just ridden that quarterback this year. I've, the, the price tags on like a rookie quarterback in the teens rounds and then a Tua or a Baker really late, like basically for free, I think is, is tolerable. So I do like Tua I this too. year more than the market. Yeah, I agree with what, uh, everything you just said about him. And then as it pertains to the receivers, Ben, you and I are both, I think, higher on the market than Devontae on Devontae Parker, where for whatever reason, people are kind of burying him third. You know, we've actually got him as the target leader on this team. And I think that makes sense. Like he commanded targets last year. He's the 
he's the guy that the incumbent, you know, Jalen Waddles, the rookie, Will Fuller is the free agent acquisition. So I think Devontae Parker is pretty undervalued here. Yeah, I kind of do too. Um, or I definitely do too. Um, I think, you know, the last year was weird for them for, uh, for, especially in several games where Tua was starting, where they just were very low pass volume. They got out to leads. They were sort of controlling the ball and, and trying to like grind clock. Uh, had a couple games that were like really extreme. But uh, in the games where they did throw a little bit more, Parker had, had a few games where he had big target numbers. Um, I think it was like 12 plus targets and, and over 110 receiving yards three times last year and twice with two at quarterback. Uh, that, that was Parker showing some flashes of being able to still be target dominant last year, even in sort of a down year, down year from the offense's perspective, probably down year for him. But he, obviously he was coming off 2019 where he had, had finally put it all together and been very, uh, very good across 2019. So, you know, if we expect the offense to be more consistently productive to his play to improve and all those things you can see a lot of scenarios where parker is actually like a really a really good pick where he's going uh i you know i still like fuller and you do too we both have him about a handful of targets behind parker and he's going to miss week one that was part of what i was thinking about so we're, we're probably mm-hmm. similar on on target share for those two i do think it's interesting for waddle like i like waddle long term i'm probably not going to take him much in redraft and it's not just because of those two it's also because this was a, a really interesting projection um this team because i'm excited about them but um when i do my projections i i I have spots in my my spreadsheet for four running backs four receivers and three tight ends so basically 11 skill guys some teams i need to project like five receivers and the way that my my my, uh spreadsheet works i can just kind of like put them into like the tight end three spot or the running back four spot and and add add a receiver in a, a different position what what i found with miami was i wanted to project more then I had spots available, more players at every position. And like, that's not happens. It's, it's more than any team that I've done. Um, and, and like, if you go look at their numbers last year, they had 15 skill position players that had at least 20 targets uh, and or carries. I think that has to be the most NFL to a couple other teams that are mostly at like eight players that have that amount of volume. They had six running backs, six receivers and three tight ends that had that type of, of volume. And then they added Waddle, they added Fuller, they added, Malcolm Brown, they added Hunter Long as a, as a tight end pickup. So like when I did this projection, I'm looking at, you know, Parker or Waddle Fuller for sure. But I also kind of wanted to project Preston Williams still, who's supposedly yeah. really healthy and could get some snaps. Lynn Bowden, um, Jakeem Grant, they always use, he was third on their team in targets last year. They still have like Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson on the roster. Those guys probably won't make the team, but they're, those aren't guys that I necessarily wanted to project, but I, I did want to get Bowden and Williams and Grant in there. When I did the tight ends, they have Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen and Hunter Long behind Kasicki. And the running backs, you have um, Gaskin, Ahmed, Malcolm Brown, Jared Dokes, their seventh round pick, and Patrick Laird is probably going to play a little bit on passing downs. So it's like there's a lot of players here, and they showed a willingness last year to kind of rotate and see what's stuck. The ADP this year is a lot more confident that like these three receivers, which is sort of where we're starting, are going to be the main receivers. I'm wondering if that's bad news for Waddle, that depth. If if some of these other guys like Grant, Lynn Bowden are playing a little bit early in the year and like he has to work more than some of these other rookies to get on the field. Yeah, I'm not quite as concerned. I do see the problem that you're saying because I have like 8% target share for Preston Williams, you know. Uh, I think ultimately though, you're you're going to have like five or six receivers active on game day and 
he's going to be, I think, in that that group at the top three. They traded up after trading down. Right. They traded back up to get Waddle, and they didn't trade out of that spot, which I thought was a mistake. But I think top they ten really could, though, regardless yeah, of whether I mean, they traded up or whatever. Like he has obvious. That's the the big counter to what I just said. Obvious, yeah. massive draft capital, and. I guess my thing with Waddle is I'm just kind of like trying to take some bets on rookie wide receivers around where he's going. Like I'm okay taking him in round, you know, 10, right? Like get round. And when we get to rounds nine, round 10, I'm okay. Take, I probably won't have a ton of him because I like Parker and Fuller probably better. And right now their ADPs are either the same or in Parker's case, it's actually a cheaper cost, but I'll still have some Waddle mixed in. I, I, I kind of, he's one of the group of rookie receivers. I just want to make sure I get some exposure to in case for whatever reason, it just booms in a way that, you know, we can't really foresee. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's a, definitely a fair stance. I just came out of this projection a little more concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm yeah. Then the tight ends with, Jisiki, I mean, I'm kind of ahead of ADP on almost this entire offense. I'm just really high on the offense, like all a little bit. Jisiki might be the one exception just because he's, and I'm not really behind. I'm like in line on ADP on Jisiki. He's just going pretty early. You know, he's going as tight end 11. I have him basically as tight end 11, right around where his ADP is overall. You know, he doesn't seem like I know they brought in Hunter Long, but it generally takes the rookie wide receiver some time to mix in. There is going to be some situations we talked about with the Bills with some of their blocking tight ends and stuff, catching touchdowns. You know, Shaheen not, and Durham Smythe, not exactly blocking tight ends, but they are going to steal some goal line touchdowns. Yeah, but I like, overall, I like Jasicki. It's, it's kind of like, can he ever put it all together? He's been very inconsistent. We've seen some really big spike weeks out of him. We've seen a lot of four weeks out of him. Yeah, I mentioned both Smith and Shane. I mean, they both got used a decent amount and had over 20 targets there in that group I was talking about. The the Gesicki thing is interesting because he split out so much. That was a big thing, right? He, he ran so many of his routes out of the slot, not really an inline tight end. But now that they've added Waddle and they have all this depth at receiver, you don't really see a lot of – or it being as easy for him to get into the slot snaps as it maybe was – if they want to play Bowden, if they want to play Jakeem Grant a little bit, um, they're already probably going to have Waddle in the slot a decent amount with Fuller and Parker on the outside. I mean, it's hard for me to see Gesicki having the same type of role where he's running as many routes out of the slot and those things. And then I, I don't think it's a great sign that he's in his last year of his contract. They haven't extended him or anything. And uh, they, they draft a third-round tight end in Hunter Long. Like, I kind of feel like they're probably getting ready to move on from him. So he's not a guy that I'm, from a big-picture standpoint, really stoked about. The running back position has a couple of interesting points. The first one is Miles Gaskin, who shout out to you. I picked up in basically all of my leagues last year, a very like more than half my leagues after week one, after reading your stealing signals newsletter. And yeah, that was funny last year. Everyone wanted to pick up Malcolm Brown and Naheem Hines, and no one wanted to pick up the guy that start that played seventy percent of the snaps in, in week one. <laughs> was yeah, like, it was like people just didn't trust it because there was it was yeah. one of the weirdest things I've ever seen where we were just totally wrong on a depth chart. Like, yeah, and again, there we didn't have preseason, so that was part of it. But never really seen. I mean, it was it was what Breda and Howard everyone had, and Miles Gaskin comes in. 
gets a workhorse role out of the gate. So, and he, he left a lot of points on the table throughout the year, whether that was his fault, the blocking fault, you know, tough to say. I know I had some games where I was just watching goal line carries just go absolutely nowhere and super tilting that in DFS. The, but the question ultimately for Gaskin is, is he worth taking in the sixth round structurally? You know, does he have the upside you're looking for there? I mean, I think he has a decent amount of upside. I think he's a good player. Um, it's from my alma mater. I'm a big fan of his. Um, but I probably won't take him anywhere because it's, it is it is pretty easy to see a lot of scenarios where I think one of the issues with draft capital, even after a player is successful, is a team is just not really committed. They don't have to be committed to the player, right? Like he was a seventh-round pick, and if for whatever reason – he gets banged up. Someone else plays well. Whatever they they might just shuffle like snaps and touches and things. Like there are reasons that touches seem more guaranteed, and they sort of are for certain players. Like the, the Steelers are going to use Najee Harris. They went out and picked him in the first round. Does it doesn't really matter how good Gaskin was or how much we think that he should play? Um, they they also have other good backs, and that's the other point. Like Ahmed was was really good too when he was used, or at least good enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a challenging one. I, I like him. I think he could be good. Uh, I'm also like it, his profile is one that I would be like selling in Dynasty. I don't think he's going to have like a long career, even though maybe he should. Maybe that's not fair to him. Um, so yeah, it's it's tricky. But he's not a guy that I would take in the dead zone. And then you mentioned Salvin Ahmed when he played was decent last year. That's the other question is. Because earlier in the offseason, I was taking a lot of Ahmed at the very end of drafts. And now I'm wondering, I've kind of backed off that just because, again, if I'm taking these handcuffed type backs like Ahmed, I want to be sure that I'm right. Gaskin goes down, it's going to be Ahmed. Should I be concerned about Dokes? Or, I mean, more specifically, Malcolm Brown, who has had a decent goal line role in the past. What do you think here as far as RB2, RB3? I mean, I, I think definitely. I, I think what we learned is that they're just going to kind of play – they're just going to play a, a running back who they think is most uh, you know, capable in that moment, which has sort of been the Patriot mantra, and, and that's obviously where um, Flores comes from. And so I, I think it's um, – it, like that's how Gaskin got into the role he was in, right? And that's uh, – mm-hmm what they showed us this offseason by not really investing at the running back position much. They gave Brown this kind of small contract, but and they drafted Dokes in the seventh round. But they're they're kind of let us know that they don't think that running backs are worth um, investing a ton in and that they see them as sort of malleable and and that's not good for fantasy. It's probably it's I think very sharp um, you know from a from a team building perspective. Maybe it sucks for for the actual human beings <laughs> that are playing these running back positions, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, to to build your team that way, but it also means that like yeah, I don't know if Ahmed is going to be the guy if, if Gaskin goes down. It could be Dokes if Dokes looks good. Um, like I said, I mean like even Patrick Laird could end up playing a decent amount. Who knows if he'll even make the team? But yeah, Brown, Dokes, Ahmed, they're they're it's, it's just sort of unknown what's going to happen in in the backfield. Um, and I think they're going to be willing to kind of rotate a little. So I I like. Ahmed earlier in the offseason as well. The more that I look at things, I'm I'm taking I'm very similar to you. I'm taking less of him. I'm, I'm taking more backs that I think I, I feel more confident are the 
the likely number two and you know could be sort of the the lead back if someone goes down but on on, on the flip side Dolphins did on a weekly level sort of commit to one back most of the time, right? Like they had Gaskin mm-hmm. and then when he went down, they had Ahmed. So like they're they're certainly worth like waiver claims and stuff during the season. I just think they're hard and they're more managed lead yeah, targets. Yeah, as you say managed because the best ball, it's hard to take a back where you don't have a defined role to get you points out of the gate, and then you might not even get paid off in this scenario where you think you're going to get paid off. Whereas managed league is a little easier to say, okay, I'm going to take Ahmed. And then after week one, I should have a really clear idea if he's actually the RB two or not, you know, I should have a pretty good idea and I can either cut bait pretty quickly or, or keep holding him. If, if he does seem like he's ahead of Malcolm Brown, like maybe he gets some goal line opportunities right out of the gate and we can feel good about that. So uh, like him better and managed as well. And one, one final thought I want to say on these guys to wrap up the long point I was making about how deep they are. I think, like, you you were making a point about how there's some interesting stacks. I totally agree. I also think two is a really interesting redraft target from that perspective. I think it's just one more sort of um, point in his favor where, like, even if Parker is not very good, you know, they have a lot of other options. Or if Fuller doesn't assimilate quick, they have a lot of other options. Or Waddle's slow to come along. Um, I When I'm doing my seasonal – redraft managed leagues i think two is going to be a really interesting layer on target especially if i'm doing some super flex leagues and things um because the skill positions are are pretty deep now in a way that like even if the different guys don't hit i i feel pretty confident on who they're going to put out there. like I, I don't think preston williams is dead like he was okay when when healthy and he's supposedly pretty he's dead you think he's dead i think he's <laughs> dead ish you know i I think I think we're going to end up with a with a clear three receivers, but I could be wrong. It's what do you like, think about Bowden? Bowden's like kind of interesting too. I think we are we want to make Bowden more of a thing than he's going to be. I don't know. I just don't. Yeah, I don't see it. I think he's, you know, a fourth, fifth wide receiver on a team. But to that point, if you know one of his top receivers does get hurt or something, right? Two is still going to probably have somebody with some cases for for you know interesting um you know an interesting profile whether it's williams or bowden or somebody who it was mm-hmm. going to play those snaps like he's he's gonna have good weapons regardless he's got a pretty good deep skill group uh around him so yeah, that makes me want to more in some the bills in that regard yeah yes similar to the bills that's a good point okay that that does it for us ben we've done the entire afc pumped out two podcasts for this week. We will be back at some point next week to debut into the NFC, looking to wrap that up before the end of July. You can follow Ben again at yards per Gretch, bengretch.substack.com and the Stealing Bananas podcast via Rotoviz Radio, also on iTunes. You can follow all my work at Established to Run. Follow me on Twitter at Two Hats One Mike. And please rate and review the Established the Edge podcast on iTunes. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Thank you.